Liam, Aussie was where you were, but I'm so glad you're here. Good, glad to hear it. Declan, keep that drumming going, mate. Gets my blood when I hear you on those drums. It's really, really good. Okay, can we agree that God wants all of us to grow up? Are you aspiring for senior leadership? It's a great thing to aspire for. God wants us to grow up. Have a look at what happens if you don't grow up. You might age, but isn't that terrible? If you stay a child on the inside, your life is nothing like what it could be. So let's, let's determine to grow up, and growing up means that you are going to become a leader. You may not be a senior leader in the church. You may not be the leader of a company. You may not be a number of things, but you will lead. You will lead in your home. You will lead people that you may not even be aware that are following after you. And God wants us to grow up. And, and, and um, so we're going to have a look at, at elders and, and the qualities that are spoken about under that name elders are actually the qualities of leadership. They're the qualities of character because charisma can get us to a place but it can't maintain us there. So many people have gotten into positions of authority that are beyond their ability to be able to stand because the character hasn't been built. And the Bible's really clear about this. Actually, character is so, so, so important. So you've got to decide, do you want to grow up or do you want to stay like these guys? Um, the real problem for us all is that we all have a fallen nature. Now, we're saved in a day, but we're sanctified in a lifetime, which means we can all be fools. Doesn't matter what decade you happen to be in, we can all make terribly dumb mistakes and say terribly dumb things. We're all a work in progress. And so we all carry the, the potential for immaturity. Yet in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says this: He says, If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. This is Sam Chapman, a guy that I went to Korea with and, and roomed with in, the, in 1996. He's a man I really, really respect. Um, just a great influence for the kingdom of God. And he looks like an elder, doesn't he? So I picked him out. So, so I want you all to aspire for senior leadership. Um, even if you never become an elder or a pastor in the church or a cell leader in the church, you will lead in other areas, secular and sacred. Um, so, so I want to look at leadership this morning. You know, someone said to me this. They said, to have a younger elder is unbiblical. So I can't leave that unchallenged. As if you hear that statement being said and you believe it, it undermines all of your confidence in us as a leadership team, the leadership of the church. So it actually gives me a great opportunity to examine what the Bible says about eldership, because I want you to be confident in what we have done as being biblical. The first thing I want to say is elders are appointed. The Bible's very clear, and it teaches that elders are to be appointed, not voted in. And I remind our denomination's leadership, because I'm on the, on the council, on the board there, that we are falling back to tradition, not Bible, when we, when we have a lot of things that are voted upon, because you don't find voting in the Bible. 
And the problem with voting is that it very quickly can become polarizing, and you can have people in this camp over here, and you can have people in this camp over here. And there are other ways of doing things beyond voting. And so we vote on very few things, although we will be voting on our AGM, um, uh, the budget, coming up. But in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, this is what it says. So when they had appointed, that's Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then in Titus chapter 1, it says, For this reason, Paul says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. See, voting is based upon the Westminster um, system of government. And it's a democratic model which brings us the voice of the people. But because we as Baptists believe very strongly that we need to hear the voice of God through the people, we used a system where we nominated people. We said to everyone, go away and pray about who God is wants to be in leadership in the church, and then bring those people or that person's name to us. And we used nominating. We didn't do the fasting bit. Do you think we should have? (laughs) Next time, when there's some... Look, we can fast for the budget. (laughs) But certainly when we come to to, um, the appointing of senior leadership in the church, elders, um, we, we, we will do that in the future. Um, we are Baptists, are, are, the thing that they're really known for is the Bible. We believe the Bible. If the Bible actually is clear in stating something, then we are for it. And I get a bit of pushback, but I also get a lot of nods when I'm talking to them about voting and nominating and the difference that we can find other ways of finding the voice of God outside of the Westminster system, which is a very English very white system of how things are done. Sometimes a person just looks like an elder. Now, I thought of all your faces, and I thought, I better not put one of those up. I thought of my face. Well, I am an elder, so it's no good putting me up. So if you happen to be related to this person, I've got nothing against you. I don't even know who this man is, but if he's your relative... God bless you. Um, But I just put him up as someone who looks like an elder. He's got gray hair. And that's often the thing that people look for when they're they're, um, uh, looking for someone. And sometimes a person who only looks like an elder but doesn't carry the hand of God and the character and the gifting that they have and the heart, the heart for his church. And when someone gets voted into a, often by voting, into a position as an elder, when they don't carry those things, there can be some tremendous problems that arise in a Baptist church. Really, really tremendous things. Massive things. Sometimes there is no filter of discernment able to be used in some churches. And for 15 years now, I've found that um, I have been asked to go into churches in our denomination um, And I've been into, I counted them up, into 11 churches to consult with them when significant problems have arisen within their church's life. And I've taught now in three of our associations. Um, 
the, the role of the eldership and, and the, the specifically about the ministry-led model that we embraced as a church, as a movement in the year 2000 to try and bring some understanding because when the wrong person, often it's a person who has a personal agenda and if a person who has a personal agenda gets into leadership, they can blow churches apart. And, and I've been unfortunately invited into these churches to try and bring some sort of help. And as well as that, I've had eight years now on, the, on our union body um, where we are dealing and constantly finding that scenes are erupting within Baptist, one or two Baptist churches at a time across our country where someone has gotten into a position of eldership who is causing or pastor, because a pastor is an elder, I'll come to that in a moment, where they're the wrong person in the wrong place. And somehow, people have to come in and try and sort these things out. So, we have an excellent congregational method that involves all of us and the filter of discernment to find what the will of God is for the leadership in this church. And I just want to commend all of us for that process. Can I bring up a couple of things that we have to take into account that are more or less background things as we begin to look at these scriptures, what the scripture says about this position of elder? In looking at the scriptures, it's important to realize that other denominations, which are actually much, much bigger than Baptists across the world, look at these same scriptures and come to different conclusions. So it's really important that we don't try to dig in and say because we see something through our vision, through our glasses, through our lens as individual Christians or even a denomination of Christians and say, we've got it right and all the rest have got it wrong. Can you understand that? Does that make sense to you? It's a really, really important point. All of the denominations in the world, Christian denominations in the world, point to the Bible to show why they are governing in the way that they are governing. Nobody's claiming another outside reference of Scripture. They're looking at the Bible, but they're coming to very different conclusions. There are basically three types of structure, church structure across the world. One is Episcopalian, the second is Presbyterianism, and the third is Congregational. And all churches across the world will fit into one of these three categories. By the way, for the kids, there are some, um, uh, what are they called? Packs of stuff for you, just up the back there. <laughs> You're welcome to, um, to grab one and use them. Carefully and lovingly put together this week, by the way. They're, they're great. Episcopalian. Um, it's called this because it's a biblical word, and it's a word we'll be looking at in just a moment. But these are churches that are governed by bishops or priests or a pope. And, and all churches would say God is the ultimate authority. Nobody's claiming that God does not rule and reign in his church. But on earth, they have set churches, have, an Episcopalian church has set up a hierarchical system under one man. 
And the Catholic Church is like this. The Anglican Church is like this. The Lutheran Church is like this. Many Pentecostal churches, in fact, most Pentecostal churches, would come under the category of Episcopalian churches. The Salvation Army is like this. And this system is 2,000 years old. They're operating under the system that the early church operated under through, and they've stayed with it for 2,000 years. And actually, they comprise one of the largest segments of the, of the, um, the Christian body of Christ today. And then there's Presbyterianism. And this is a system that is only about 400 years old. And in this concept, the power and the authority of leadership does not rest in a single person. It's not in a pastor, it's not in a pope, it's not in a bishop, but it's in a group of leaders. Eldership, a group of elders. The Presbyterian denomination, the Methodists, the Reformed churches, the Open Brethren, all of these come under this category of Presbyterianism. We're a group of elders. And in fact, it shows most easily in the Open Brethren because they don't even appoint a pastor. It's, it's in a, a, a team of senior leaders called elders in their uh, church. And, and no one has the authority in that uh, situation. And then there's another sort of um, churches, which are called congregationalist or congregationalism. And again, this system of church governance is only about 400 years old. And the ultimate um, authority in the church rests in the congregation and in the membership particularly. And each congregation in this system is autonomous. They're not in a hierarchical structure where one person in the uh, union or the leadership of the denomination can tell a church what to do. Every church is autonomous in its own, in its own self. And we are operating in this system within a local church. So we have a very distinct lens as we look at what the scripture has to say about how churches should be led. In the past, in New Zealand Baptist churches, they've really struggled with inertia because every church decision had to be taken to a church, uh, church meeting. And um, things like what color carpet a church is going to have. You'd hear stories about this and, and about what color to paint a wall or the outside of the building. And people would fight and have strong opinions there's a very well-known saying in Baptist um, circles that if you put two Baptists together in a room and ask them to talk about something, there will be three opinions. And that has arisen because of the conflict and the everybody wants their, their opinion to be right that is part of our history and tradition. And sadly, really difficult and unfortunate Meetings have taken place in almost every Baptist church across New Zealand in the 70s through to the 90s where strong-minded people who became power brokers, not necessarily the people who were given authority within the church, but they were strong-minded, and so they became power brokers within churches, 
and they polarized and sometimes dominated meetings and massive arguments about whether the Holy Spirit should be allowed expression in his own church took place in the Baptist movements in the 70s and the 80s. Can I have a show of hands of anyone who's been through some of those times? No one. A few. A few. This church has stories of people almost coming to fistfights in a church members' meeting as they yelled at each other. And that has been repeated over and over in this denomination through the 70s and the, uh, through the 90s particularly. And it's clearly not what Paul had in mind when he talked about having elders within the church and having a structure that is congregational because that's what we believe the Bible actually teaches. And so in the year 2000, quite meekly, quite meekly, the whole denomination at a leadership level came together and said, we need to embrace something that is not every decision coming to a member's meeting. And so we embraced what, was, what is called the ministry-led model, where a congregation has the final authority and the final say, the final power, but it empowers its leaders to be able to lead. But it does so in a way, to lead in a way that is congregation and congregational engaging and, and seeks the voice of the people into, into decisions that are being made. Basically, as a denomination, everybody said, we've had enough of these kind of fights. Some churches lost significant numbers at the end of a particularly bad members' meeting. I mean, it, it was, it's sad, this, this period of our history. So what I'm saying to you is there are three types of churches, and they're all based on the scriptures we're looking at this morning about elders, as well as other scriptures that are there, but they center in these scriptures about elders. And each denomination believes that they've got the right interpretation. But here's the thing. God doesn't seem to mind. He uses every church anyway. Even though they're quite diverse in how they govern them themselves. This is more our issue than God's issue. Now, there are two Greek words that are translated as elder. And I want to read a few texts through to you now. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7 says, This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, if someone aspires to be an episkopos, that's the Greek word. And it's quite helpful to use episkopos and presbyteros um, to see the difference, because otherwise we just run elder through a grid of what we've always thought and known. If someone aspires to be an episkopos, he or she, and it doesn't say she, but I'm putting it in, and we've talked a lot about this in, in uh, previous messages about the equality of men and women. Um, he desires a, an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. And it goes on to speak about a lot of character qualities that are necessary in someone who is an episkopos. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 3. To the elders, now this time it's not presbyteros, but it's, uh, sorry, it's not episkopos, but it's presbyteros, a different word. 
among you. I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it all over, uh, over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the, to the flock. There's quite a bit on the role of an elder in there as well as character qualities that are necessary, but he's using a different word. And then in Titus, he just mixes it up. Look at this. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in, on, in order what was left unfinished and appoint presbyteros in every town as I directed you. An episcopos must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an episcopos, but here it's just a translation of what episcopos means, since an overseer, an episcopos, someone who oversees something, manages God's household. An episcopos, an overseer, manages God's household. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must, firmly hold, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So there's quite a bit there on role and character for this position of elder, but two different words are used interchangeably in the same passage. 1 Timothy 5, the presbyteros who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And it goes on to talk about not muzzling the ox as he eats. So it's talking about the financial reimbursement for these people who are presbyteros in that position within a church of teaching and preaching. There's a lot of ambiguity. It's not just simple, straightforward. An elder is this. There's a lot of ambiguity in it. There's quite a bit in the role that actually is equivalent to the role of a pastor in the church that we know today. So there are three questions that come to mind when someone says, having someone in, the, in their 20, late 20s and 30s um, is unbiblical because they are not an old person. They don't have gray hair. The three questions that come to mind for me are these. What does the Bible say about how old is old enough to be considered old? Does the Bible actually spell out when old starts? When does it begin? And then secondly, how old is too old? Can a person be an elder in their 80s and their 90s? And are there exceptions where clearly a younger person is given the title and role of elder? Can I say this? Without question, 95 to 97% of anyone who comes into the role of elder is old. Now, 
95 to 97% of anyone who comes into the role of elder is old. They've, 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 but old doesn't equate to wise. Doesn't some people, they grow up. Other people, they just grow. They forgot the inside stuff. But 95 to 97%, if you surveyed the churches and Baptist churches in New Zealand, you'd find 95 to 97% of the people, would, you would put them in the category of old. And that's the meaning of the word, the literal meaning of the word presbyteros. Presbyteros means older or senior, or at least the root word presbus does. And that's our starting position. But does the Bible anywhere say what age old begins? And the answer is no. So we have to use our brains. Now, would 50 be acceptable as old? You don't need to, you don't need to um, give me that. <laughs> but but you just make up. So if 50 might be acceptable as old, would 40 be acceptable as old? Would 30 be acceptable as old? Would 28, when I became an elder, be acceptable as old? What does the Bible actually say? And the answer is it doesn't say anything. And does it tell us anything about when someone is too old? And the answer is no. In other words... The church, the leadership, have to use their minds and their, their understanding, just as they have to as they assess when someone, uh, when old begins. And is there a, a biblical exception where someone is an elder, but they are called an elder, the title of elder, and yet they're younger? And the answer is yes, there is. Timothy was one of these. And if you know your Bible, you know that Paul had to write to him and say, hey, mate, you're in the right position. Don't let people use this thought that you're too young to allow you to lead. You stand up and lead how you're supposed to. Timothy was exactly that. He was a younger man. He was probably a single person. Now, some people look at the categories, uh, the things that are put there that um, say your kids must obey you. So they say, well, anyone who doesn't have kids can't be an elder. Hello? It's not what it's meaning. But those that do have kids, how your kids behave are a huge indication of the character and integrity in your life. Timothy was probably a single person, and yet he was involved in about five churches, and, and he, was, he was apostolic because he was charged to go and appoint elders in these churches, even before he became one of these elders in the churches himself, in the church of Ephesus. And he went on and pastored that church for years and years and years. And Sandra and I went there. It's a big church. You look at the foundations. You look at what was there. But he was young. He was young. He was young. I want to quote Brian Winslade. And I could have chosen John Piper or any other, uh, uh, many other uh, well-known Christian 
statesmen, if you like, in our own age, talking about the fact that, that you cannot put an age on el- elderships because Timothy creates an exception for someone who's exceptional being able to come in and, and be in that role. But I want to quote Brian Winslade. And I quote Brian because he, went, he has been the New Zealand leader of our denomination uh, for about eight years. After that, he went on to uh, lead the Australian Baptist um, Union as well. And the, the real reason I want to quote him is because he grew up here in St. Albans Baptist Church. You remember his, his dad pastoring here? I think it was Norm Winslade and, and little Brian Yeah. And this is what Brian has written. He said, The concept of presbyteros was not necessarily limited to someone who was older chronologically. It became a title. Timothy, for instance, was presumed to be an elder in the church, yet was relatively young. The meaning of presbyteros had to do with perceived maturity and wisdom, with someone who would give wise counsel or advice, someone whose judgment was respected. And friends, really, this is the answer to the question of unbiblical or not. It's very, very clear. But the ambiguity goes even deeper than this, because we have these large, large segments of the body of Christ who have taken these verses and set up a hierarchical structure under one man or within a country under one person or a group of elders who are leading in quite different ways to what we are here. So there are actually these two words with two different meanings, yet scholars see them as synonymous to each other. They are interchangeable because Paul and Peter both use these words interchangeably as they're addressing the same context. The presbyteros, as I've been saying, and episkopos. And episkopos is sometimes translated as bishop, bishop, or more just taking the meaning of the word overseer, someone who oversees churches or even regions. And this is where that tradition for um, the Catholic and the Anglican and the brethren, etc., come from. And the reason, um, sorry, overseer in the Greek lexicon means a person charged with seeing that some that things are done rightly, a guardian or a superintendent in Christian churches. Let me give you another example yet. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, Paul calls together all the elders. He says, I'm, I'm, a, I'm going to die. You guys won't see me again. I want to speak to all the elders at Ephesus. And he begins to talk to them. Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. And then in verse 28, he says this. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you episkopos. Overseers, over. Be shepherds. Poimon, which is the, the um, part which means pastor, be pastors of the people, the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in amongst you and will not spare the flock, the church. Even from your own number, men will arise who will distort the truth in order to draw away disciples to themselves. And sadly, that, that scenario still takes place. In, in churches um, today. And so these elders are to be the gatekeepers. 
But he calls them both, you are presbyteros and you are also episkopos. Your overseers. And then he gives them the role as a shepherd. So it's very possible to interpret eldership as meaning pastors. And this has been the almost 400-year interpretation that Baptists have put on these verses. Not a volunteer group who are, who are overseeing a local church only, but the pastors of the church. And if you go back in Baptist history, Baptist, by and large, because every church is autonomous, so some would do things differently, but by and large, our denomination didn't have elders for almost 400 years. And it was around the late 70s, 80s, that suddenly our movement saw in Scripture the reality and the place of eldership. But up until that time, we had pastors and deacons. And I remember in the 80s, when I, when I first became an elder, I, I was a pastor and therefore an elder, and, and I, I, I was invited into the eldership of the church at Glen Eden, and the elders didn't quite know what to do because there was a deacon's group, there was a pastoral staff team, and there were elders, and no one was sure how it all functioned and worked. And Baptist churches have had to figure out things, and by and large, deacons have dropped off. Because you might not remember it, but it wasn't that long ago when there were no small groups in church. In about the 70s, particularly when Yongi Cho just shot to fame with, with a church that grew to 100,000, 200,000, 500,000 people, and he's doing it out of small groups, and around the world people started saying, we need these. And small groups have taken over a lot of the things that um, diaconates used to do for 35, 40 years ago. So this is actually our historic Baptist interpretation of these verses that he's speaking here about church leadership that is and includes pastors when it talks about elders. And when you, when you consider pastors as being what's talked about here, the issue of age becomes even less and less a defining characteristic. And the term eldership becomes a, uh, a title more than a requirement of age. Because most of our pastors, pastors enter into the pastorate at ages 20 to 30 years of age. And they learn a lot and grow from being enthusiastic and full of energy to hopefully a lot wiser as the decades go past. But they start their eldership, they start their pastoral time, often quite young. The youngest Baptist pastor I know of is Spurgeon. And Spurgeon's often quoted because he just turned London upside down for, in the Baptist world. He got saved at 15 years of age and he became the pastor of a church at 16. It was a pretty small church, but within two years he'd grown it to 1,200 people. He was an elder. He was a pastor. He was an overseer. He was an episkopos. He was an elder. He was a presbyteros. 
And at 18, the largest Baptist church in London invited him to become the pastor there, and he went. And the rest is history. He just kept growing the church. Huge, huge influence. But he was young. He actually broke the rule that says, don't allow anybody who's a new convert to become an elder. God didn't seem to mind. See, what we have here in this, these are all important things. Each of these passages that I've been reading out, but they're not prescriptive rules that if you're, if you're married and you've got children, but your children get killed, you have to leave the eldership. It's not saying that. If you're, if you're single and you're not married, there's no way you can lead in, an, in, a, in a church. It's not saying that. There are, there are, um, these, these, are these are principles of how the church is to be governed. But they're not prescriptive to the degree because every church's setting and every church's clientele that they're drawing from is different. And there are general principles that need to be put into place. You know, can I just talk about um, the next generation? For over 15 years, we as an eldership here at St. Albans Baptist have been deliberately bringing younger people into the eldership meetings. We haven't said you're going to become an elder or you are an elder. We've brought them in for three to six months so that we can help them to grow in their leadership development. We've been doing this for over 15 years because we see the gift of leadership in them. One of the things that we have to look really close for, closely at is their maturity to be able to hold their mouth and keep, keep uh, confidentiality within their lives. They've never, ever let us down. And we value the voice of the next generation coming through. You know, in the world, or in the church, so many churches are losing people in their 20s and 30s. And we are too. But we value the voice of those in the 20s and 30s. And we want to hear their perspective on the world and their perspective on, 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 on life in, in church. And we have greatly benefited by having these younger ones for three-month stints or six-month stints coming into the team. You know, in the world, they can be pilots and fly us around the globe. We just don't look closely as the pilot slips into his seat. As we feel very safe because they're obviously so much more mature. And they can launch tech companies like Trade Me and become millionaires and probably beyond that as well. And they can even become New Zealand's prime minister like Jacinda Ardern did at 37 years of age. Our youngest prime minister ever. But too many churches are not interested enough in their voices. And in, in Jesus' day, his crew were all young. They were. And they were mostly single. In history, God has repeatedly taken younger people in their 20s and their 30s, like the Wesleys and Whitfield, and he has trained them and used them, and they've turned their generation on its head. And I think of um, today Lauren Cunningham, who started YWAM, and he started it when he was 24. And it has trained young people across every nation and done so much for mission of, mo of motivating young people to get involved and get going. Don't be like older ones who are happy to come on Sunday, sit in a seat and go home. That's not Christianity. 
Christianity, that's, that's watching a rugby game. Christianity is getting invited into the game, playing on the field. And Lauren said, it's not good enough that we let them just model what the older ones are, are doing in so many churches. Let's get them going. And he started YWAM, and it's still going today strong. So here in SABC, we welcome the leadership of the up-and-coming generations. And friends, you may not get to be a, an elder or a pastor in the church here, but go after leadership. Don't let your thinking get shut down to think, oh, that'll happen when I'm 40. That'll happen when I'm 50 and I'm acceptable. No, you're acceptable right now is the, is the message of the Bible. We need every age group going after God and fulfilling their calling. So to summarize, most elders are older. However, in the Bible, there is a very clear exception, and it's Timothy. And then in history and today, there have always been exceptions. And the goal of, goal of an elder is maturity, not white hair. And we are looking through a modern lens. We have to realize that. And the way we view church was not acceptable and not allowed for 1,600 years of history. And we're living in a very small 400-year part. And even that has changed in the last 40 years quite considerably of how we view things. And here's a thought for you. It's going to change again because the Bible doesn't just talk about elders and pastors. It talks about apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. And man, we haven't even begun to embrace what seeing apostles and prophets is going to do to church governance. And it's good. And it's biblical. And it's right. And it's led by the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen? Can I have the music team come up? I just want to ask you, we're, we're talking about Jesus leading his church, and he's doing a great job with us. I want to ask you whether you've ever let him lead you. He utterly transformed my life. In 1972, when I was 15 or 16, somewhere around there, and he turned me from being a shy, introverted young man with shame and sin around my life as well, and he forgave me. He cleaned me up on the inside, and he gave me purpose, and he gave me meaning. And if you've never met Jesus in that way, why don't you do it today? Could we just have every head bowed just for a moment? I want to just ask you what was asked of me on that day. Is Jesus really your Lord? And if you can't answer a resounding yes to that, I want to lead you in a prayer this morning that will give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And he will utterly change you. He will give you a brand new start. And he will transform you just as he did me. Is there anyone here today who would like to be able to Give their life to Jesus in that way and ask for forgiveness. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anyone else here today? 
You'll know if the Holy Spirit's working in your heart because as I'm speaking, there's just emotion that's going on inside of you. The Bible says it's like God knocking on your heart. You'll feel it like, oh. Wow. Okay, can we stand, folks? And I want to pray for this person who has responded this morning. And God bless you for that. And I want to say to you, just pray this simple prayer out with me. And that's all it is. It's, inv- it's asking for forgiveness and inviting God to take over in our lives and, f- and to bring that new start, cleansing, and it will happen. Why don't we all pray this prayer together? Jesus, today I open my heart up to you. I acknowledge that I've done wrong. And because of the cross, I ask you to forgive me too. Please come into my life. Clean me up. Make me new. Make me into a son of yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church.